Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Man, I'm doing okay. How about you, Dan? You doing good? Doing good. So let me let you in on a little secret I have been uh, holding on to for a little bit now. So one of the reasons we, the shows have been launching a little bit early this week, we usually try to get them up by about noon Eastern time, but mm-hmm. uh, if, you know, you regular listeners have probably noticed they've been going up a little early, is we had to record a little bit earlier for some of these shows um, because I am in travel status uh, because I am going to the NRA convention, which, you know, that's not the secret. But I will see you there this week if you're at the NRA convention. I'll be doing a meet and greet on Saturday as well if you want to stop by and say hello. Um by the way, can I just tell you a quick funny story about this, Joe? Yeah, man. I, I just, you guys are like my friends out there, so I feel like once in a blue moon, we should share some personal stuff. So the NRA sends me an email today, uh, NRA TV, I should say. They're actually two distinct entities. Um, They said, hey, um, you know, Dan, there's been a lot of interest in this meet and greet at the NRA convention on Saturday. I, I don't know the exact, I think it's 2.30 or 3.30, but I'll put that out there if you want to come by and say hello. But they say there's been a real lot of interest, which always surprises me because I'm not, I'm not messing around with you folks. I really am astonished at how much people enjoy my I, my stuff. I am. I'm just not used to it. I was a cop and a Secret Service guy, and you're used to being the guy behind the scenes. So now that people find my stuff interesting, and by default, I guess me interesting, mm-hmm. it's really shocking. My wife and I are always, we don't get out of the house much because my studio's in my house. So when we leave and people want to talk and take selfies, it, it is really <laughs> it's shocking. I know I'm not being coy with you or you know, doing one of these humble brag things. I swear, I'm really shocked by it. But they had a really incredible response to this, so they printed up these pictures and they're like, "Well, you can sign them for people. They can buy it." I'm like, "People would want a signed picture." <laughs> I'm not messing with you, Joe. Yeah. Like they really no. did this, and I was like, "Okay, sure, whatever. You know, I'll do whatever you guys want." But yeah. uh, the secret is I, I there's been a lot of requests via email on Twitter uh, for people who have been following the Russia hoax uh, and the framing of Donald Trump series from 628 on episode 628 on um, for me to do an extended appearance on Fox to discuss it. So I will be on and do not miss this life, liberty and Levin with Mark Levin Sunday night on the Fox News channel, 10 p.m. Eastern time with the inimitable Joe DeGeneva, who knows exactly what I know. Oh. And for an hour, we will be breaking this sucker down like you've never heard about it with the great one. So please, spread the word. Let's make it the most highest rated episode they've had yet on Life, Liberty, and Levin. 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. This coming Sunday night, I'm flying up. That's why I've had to leave early and get on some stuff, because i got to bounce around between Virginia and Dallas to get all this, and D.C. to get this done. So if you see me around in the D.C. News Studio and Fox, that's what's going on. But do oh. not miss it. It's going to be a an epic episode with me and DeGeneva. Jolly good show, Dad. It is going to be amazing. You're Jolly not going to want to miss this one. All right. Me and Joe just had a debate about what to leave in and take in. I was doing a read, and I'm like, today's show brought to you by... That's not who it was brought to you by. It's brought to you by My Patriot Supply. <laughs> FEMA is not a first responder. <laughs> that is a quote. Yeah, you're still laughing yeah, about I'm that, sorry. aren't you? I, one day we'll, we'll, we'll do a show of outtakes. You'll get a kick out of it. That is an actual quote. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, is not a first responder. That's what the agency's deputy administrator said in a speech earlier this month. Why does that matter to you? Because his words may sound blunt and harsh, but it confirms what we've known for years. You, 
You're your own first responder. It's your responsibility to prepare now so you're ready to act no matter what crisis you may face. Start by securing food storage today. I do this. I live in a hurricane zone. I've got a closet full of emergency food by My Patriot Supply. We secure and ensure everything in our lives that matters. Ensure your food supply. My Patriot Supply has the perfect food kit that millions of Americans have chosen to get prepared for disasters, including hurricanes and earthquakes. This week, their popular four-week emergency food supply is back for only $99. Buy one for everyone in your family. That's a low price for security, and it's shipped free and discreetly to your door. Take action now, 888-411-8926, or go to this special website, preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com. This emergency food lasts 25 years in storage. It's your responsibility to make sure every family member has one. I do. It's only $99. 888-411-8926 or preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com. Okay. So I had mentioned to you on yesterday's show, and I did not, uh, I had not seen this article when I did it. I was, I want to get to some other stuff too, but the, uh, there's an interesting development with this FBI case. But mm. I had mentioned to you about the, the debt crisis, how le- the last quarter we had borrowed an astronomical $488 billion, the last fiscal quarter, January, February, March. So January 1st through March 31st. That is the most money the United States government has borrowed, $488 billion, since the fiscal crisis. Again, if you heard yesterday's show, you know all this, where during the fiscal, fiscal crisis, quarter four of 2008, we borrowed $596 billion, which is another astronomical amount. Now, folks, why does this matter to you? Well, obviously, it matters to you because the United States is drowning in a tidal wave of debt and red ink. But I had said to you that there are going to be two outcomes. And those two outcomes are going to be, number one, either explosively high interest rates because people are just going to stop lending us money. I mean, would you lend money to a guy who owed the United States government a million dollars if his salary was only, you know, 100000 Of course you wouldn't. You know you're never going to get the money back. Or you would lend it to him and you'd say, hey, listen, I want 25% interest on this to compensate me for the risk I'm taking lending you this money knowing I may not get it back. So I said to you that the first problem we're going to have is we're going to have really, really high interest rates because people are not going to lend us money. The second problem I have, I said the second way to to solve this problem, and when I say solve, I'm being sarcastic, is to print the snot out of money. The United States government can just print its own money and pay off its own debts. You say, oh, that sounds great. Well, that would lead to massive hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. Seemingly on cue... A few articles come out showing I, I I love that we're always like ahead of the curve here. You know, again, I didn't invent these ideas. These are standard principles of economics. But these two articles came out. I took snapshots of them. Uh, one from the Wall Street Journal. And uh, what's the other one from? Oh, uh, France 24. And these are two articles that describe exactly what I just told you again. Showing I'm not making this stuff up, folks. This is real stuff. So Wall Street Journal yesterday. I missed this, by the way, before I had spoken about this. There's a quote. We just had this spending splurge. You know, the the budget Trump signed, uh, what is it, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. We talked about it on the show. The the budget was a disaster. He he said he's not going to sign another one like it. There's some talk about rescission or taking some of that money back. I'm not sure it's going to go anywhere. We've already discussed most of this on the show. But the budget the Congress and the Senate passed and Trump signed was not a good one. Yeah, it was a disaster. We're spending uh, ourselves into oblivion. Trump said no more. It's the last one I'm signing. 
But Joe, from the Wall Street Journal, mm. and I'm quoting, foreign investors' appetite this year for U.S. debt, in other words, their willingness to lend this money, hasn't grown at the same pace as the government's borrowing needs, mm. which some analysts worry could push bond yields higher and eventually threaten to slow down economic growth. Exactly what I said to you yesterday. Again, there's no revelation of what I said yesterday. It's a basic economic principle. I'm just telling you, I swear to you, I missed this piece right as I was telling you how bond yields, interest rates are going to go up because these countries are saying, wait, why are we lending them money? They are going bankrupt. The United States has too much. It can't handle its debt. Why are we lending the money again? Now, coincidentally, this is interesting. We're at now, the the allotment data shows foreign demand fell below its five-year average in March after rising to a 21-month high in February. Now, what is this? Why does any of that matter to you? What does that mean, Joe? Demand... Mm -hmm. For our debt, in other words, the willingness to lend us money, the demand right. to buy our bonds, the willingness to lend the U.S. government money. That's what that means. Okay. Fell right after what happened. Right after we signed this disastrous budget where we spent all this money we didn't have. Oh, oh, oh shaggy. Like, this is like common sense. This is like Scooby-Doo budgeting. So let me get this straight, Joe. All right. Foreign governments that lend us money. Mm-hmm. They saw that we're spending money we don't have uh. and then correspondingly said, eh, I'm not so willing to lend you guys money anymore if you keep spending like this. This is like only shocking to swamp rat Republicans and big spending socialist Democrats. This is not shocking to any other reasonable person on the planet. So I had said to you in no uncertain terms that two things would happen. Foreign governments would stop lending us money. And I hadn't even seen this. I wasn't trying to set it up to be cool the next day. I don't care about any of that stuff. I did not make any of this up. This is basic econ. I'd said to you, we keep doing this. They're going to stop lending us money and interest rates are going to go up. While I missed the story that shows exactly that is happening right now. Foreign governments are now demanding our debt at the lowest rate in five years. This, what can't continue won't. Famous quote by Herb Stein, Ben Stein's father, economist. He says, what can't continue won't. This can't continue. Therefore, it won't. Sooner or later, interest rates are going to go up. I'm not trying to redo yesterday's show. I'm just trying to tell you the stuff is happening right now. Because I know there are liberals and rhinos and swamp rats who listen to the show. And, and hill people who listen to the show. I know that. Why are you not telling the American people this? Why isn't someone, Joe, going on TV with a chart showing that the demand for our debt is going down? In other words, folks, explain to them in common sense, Hill people, explain to the American people in common sense terms, people don't want to lend us money anymore. We're in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, no balls. No, none. 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 Zero. Zippo balls. Now, on that second front, an article that popped up on Drudge that I picked out. I'll put these in the show notes, by the way. From France 24 about Venezuela. Venezuela is a socialist country. Socialism, of course, meaning the government ownership of the means of production, meaning government owns the ways we produce things. The farms, they own the car companies. That's the definition of socialism. Government ownership of the means of production. Venezuela is a socialist country which has moved in that direction, the confiscation of free market economic assets by the government. That has a 100% success rate. Huh? 
Yes, of failure. <laughs> Socialism has failed 100% of the time. It's a remarkable success rate of failure. Right, Joe? It's incredible. You it can't get 100% of anyone to do anything. You ask kids in a classroom if they want homework. There's always one kid who raises his hand and says yes, right? Everybody knows that, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. You can't get 100% of kids to agree they don't want homework. But you can agree that socialism has failed everywhere it's been tried, including Venezuela. Yes. So. In response to government confiscating the means of production in Venezuela and spending a bunch of money in Venezuela that they did not have, Joe, well, what happened in Venezuela? Well, what did I tell you in yesterday's show was going to happen? First, governments would stop lending us money, which would lead to a rise in interest rates. And when that happens and they can't get money anymore, the government, what do they do? They'll print it. Right. Quote from this France 24 piece, which will be in the show notes at Bongino.com. For an analyst at a consultancy, EcoAnalytica, the constant hiking of salaries, which is being mandated by the government, by the way, in Venezuela, is a hopeless cause in the face of such inflation without correcting the imbalances in the Venezuelan economy, which is running a fiscal deficit of an estimated 20% of GDP that the government is trying to resolve through printing money, just like I told you. Again, I'm not. Is that none of this is is particularly complicated. It only is for liberals who don't understand economics 101. What is inflation running at in Venezuela right now? A mild 13,000%. Oh. Inflation is so bad in Venezuela right now, Joe, that the story that I, that I have in the show notes, that's actually a snippet of it, but that's not the takeaway from the story. The actual takeaway from the story is that a woman got a five-year severance check from a hospital she was working at. Yeah. The five years. Now, that you'd think, gosh, five-year severance check. What's she going to buy? A car? Is she going to buy a house with that? The five-year severance check literally covers literally a cup of coffee. That's it. That is how bad inflation. So five years, you figure what her salary was worth over that accumulated five-year period. Inflation degrades the value of money, right? Inflation means your money buys less and less and less and less. You need more and more and more of it. That's why the cost of a loaf of bread is $1,000 because you need more and more money. That five years, her salary five years ago and accumulated on that severance payment only buys her now a cup of coffee, not a jar, not a gallon, not a container, a cup of coffee. Listen, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be Karnak. I'm not trying to predict the future. I'm just telling you the basic laws of economics. There are some things we know will happen if we don't get a hold of this debt problem soon. Make absolutely no mistake. This stuff is coming our way. It is unavoidable. And famous last words are, no, no, it ain't going to happen here. No, it will. And it can. I promise you. Okay. Um, I got another really, really interesting story in the show notes from the Washington Free Beacon. Folks, something is going on here. Something. Well, listen, something. that If you listen to my show, you're like, well, what does that mean? I mean, something's yeah. been going on forever. What are you talking about? The Russia probe, the Hillary probe. If you've been following the show, you know my suspicions about CrowdStrike. Now, let me just be clear about what I'm talking about first. Washington Free Beacon has a story up about a FOIA request, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, meaning we request this information from the government under the Freedom of Information Act. We should have access to it, right? Right. The Washington Free Beacon uh, put out a FOIA to the FBI for their communications with CrowdStrike. Now, why is this interesting? 
If you've been following the show, do you remember who CrowdStrike is? CrowdStrike is the private company, it's not a government entity, obviously, that was brought in to examine the Democrat National Committee, the DNC servers, after the allegations they were hacked by the Russians. Remember what I told you before, because this is important. This is an interesting development. I'll put the story in the show notes. You really should read it. Because it should say to you that what I've been telling you the whole time about the Russia hack narrative, you should be extremely skeptical of it, that that's true. The DNC brought in CrowdStrike after they alleged they were hacked by the Russians. Now, keep in mind the 30,000-foot view. The whole Russian collusion narrative is based on the premise, as I've told you multiple times, that the Russians hacked the DNC and that they worked with the Trump team to get those emails out to overturn the election and embarrass the Democrats and Hillary Clinton. That's the whole Russian narrative in a nutshell. Mm. If the Russians did not hack the DNC... Do you understand the whole narrative falls apart? Why? Maybe I haven't explained this one. Why? For obvious reasons. If the Russians didn't hack the DNC and get the emails, how could they give them to the Trump team? By the way, there's no evidence they gave them to the Trump team either, which is funny because the two tenets of the investigation, the Russians hacked the DNC and colluded with the Trump team to get the emails out. There's no evidence for either one of those things at this point. None. Now, they may have hacked the DNC. But what I've said to you repeatedly is the FBI was never allowed in there. No government agency has examined those computers. What's equally suspicious about CrowdStrike, the company, the private company that was hired and was, you know, did go in there and was allowed access to the computers, Mm -hmm. is even they are backing away from their assertions that the evidence indicates the Russians hacked into the DNC. One of their original assertions was that there was a Ukrainian military app that was hacked into using some of the some of the similar type patterns that were hacked into the DNC. The Ukrainians are saying that didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. So CrowdStrike has even backed away from some of this stuff. So I'm asking you just as a reasonable person, if even CrowdStrike is backing away from this conclusion they drew that the Russians hacked the DNC and the FBI and no one else has looked at these computers. Why isn't anyone in the press even remotely curious about the assertion that the Russians hacked the DNC? Adding to the chicanery here is the Free Beacon. The Washington Free Beacon is a conservative outlet. They FOIA the FBI and says, listen, we want to check out your communications with CrowdStrike. So here's a quote from the piece. The FBI, which was never, and they have that in uh, in like a, a bold and a link, was never granted access to the DNC service for inspection, instead relied on the third-party firm, CrowdStrike, that was brought in by the DNC for information regarding the compromised network who concluded that Russia was behind the hack. Fascinating. Listen to this. The FBI previously awarded an unrelated $150,000 contract to CrowdStrike in July of 2015. Details and communications between the firm, CrowdStrike, and the Bureau regarding that past contract were requested as part of the Freedom of Information Act request. They're delaying, folks. Mm. The FBI is sitting on this thing again. There is a normal understandable timeline between a request for information and production of said information. They are way outside that timeline right now. What are they hiding now? 
Why is the FBI hiding their communications with CrowdStrike and not giving them over to the Free Beacon? What was going on there? Now, remember with CrowdStrike, CrowdStrike was the, the CTO of CrowdStrike, the technology officer, a guy named Alperovich, Dmitry Alperovich. He sits on a board at the Atlantic Council. The Atlantic Council was, was a think tank, was funded largely by a Ukrainian, Viktor Pinchuk. That same Atlantic Council, funded by this Ukrainian with heavy ties to the Clintons. So a guy with heavy ties to the Clintons donates significant sums to a think tank. On that think tank sits the CTO of the company that analyzed the DNC computers. That think tank also partnered with a Ukrainian gas company that hired a very close friend of uh, Secretary of State John Kerry and Vice President Biden's kid. You think the motive for CrowdStrike being paid an enormous sum of money to produce a narrative is there? Folks, the connections here are incredible. Just think about what I'm telling you. For those of you who missed my show a couple weeks ago, FBI never analyzed the DNC computers. The company that's been telling us the entire time that it's a Russian hack, one, the FBI is hiding the records with that they won't produce the records, at least in a reasonable time frame. The company that did it, the CTO of the company, sits on a board of a think tank funded by a Clinton donor that just partnered with a Ukrainian gas company that hired Joe Biden's kid and John Kerry's stepson. I'm not stepson, John Car- a friend of John Kerry's stepson. Folks, the, 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 the point of this is the swamp is real. The connection is real. The financial incentive is real. The job opportunities to be quiet and work within the swamp are real. Why won't they let the FBI in there to look at these darn computers? I bring it up today because it's a recent story. You should really check it out. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. And it goes to show you, I think, the level of depravity we have here. People are hiding information. I want to know what the FBI knew about CrowdStrike. Did CrowdStrike email people in the FBI and say, hey, guys, we're not so sure this was a Russian hack here. Do you understand if that email shows up in a communication between the FBI and CrowdStrike, how this entire Russian collusion case falls apart in in Mm -hmm. it? at the minute they hit send to the press Mm -hmm. man all right i got a lot of other stories to get to so uh today's show also brought to you by buddies at filter by they write their own ads and this is great this goes to show these guys are team these they're 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 team maga right here it's spring cleaning time and like trump is cleaning out corrupt officials you can clean up the air you breathe and make your hvac system great again and folks don't procrastinate otherwise dust mold and pollutants clog up your system it becomes inefficient It ends up costing you a lot of money. Sounds like the federal government. Clean up your system with my friends at FilterBuy, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. They carry over 600 different filter sizes, including custom options, all shipped free within 24 hours. Plus, they're manufactured right here in America. This is a great company. Their customer service is spectacular. I get a lot of positive feedback about FilterBuy. FilterBuy offers a multitude of MERV options all the way up to hospital grade, so you'll be removing dangerous pollen, mold, dust, and other allergy-aggravating pollution while maximizing the efficiency of your system. 
Right now, you can save 5% when you set up auto delivery, so you'll never need to think about air filters again. That's the way to do it. Who wants to think about that? Save money, save time, breathe better, breathe cleaner air with filterby.com. That's filterbuy.com, filterby.com. Solid company, made in the USA. Nice job there. Um, Another story I saw at Drudge. You know, I grew up in New York, folks, in uh, the, the 80s and a bit of the 90s before I wound up moving uh, to Maryland where I was an instructor in the Secret Service Academy, so I had to leave. And um, one of the things I saw in New York that I saw in Maryland as well, Joe, and I think you can vouch for this being a Maryland resident yourself, Mm -hmm. is the one thing about liberalism is liberalism eventually eats up and destroys liberals too. Um, Liberalism just as as a factual matter just doesn't work because it defies the way human human behavioral patterns work. You know, we are... I was listening to a, a podcast. Jonah Goldberg has a really fascinating podcast he did with uh, it's it's uh, Econ Talk. It's uh, uh, which I listened to. But Jonah Goldberg was a guest last week, and it was a really really good Econ Talk podcast where they talk about one of the principles I brought up frequently, and they discuss on Econ Talk a lot. The idea that depending on the size of the group, the behavior patterns of the human being are different. In other words, Joe, we actually are you know, communists, if not monarchs in our own household, right? Mm. Like we don't, mm-hmm. I, it's not a democracy in our household. Not with my kids. No. Nope. That dad and mom are the king and the queen. What we say goes and you'll listen because we know it's better because you generally don't. So it, depending on, that's a small group. That's our family. But that pattern of behavior does not work in the macro. It doesn't work when, you know, you have a king or a queen ruling over 300 million people because that power will corrupt, as Lord Acton said. Interestingly enough, the P- this is why I say like liberalism is this cancer and liberals, what they fail to see is what works in small groups doesn't necessarily work in the macro. That is the fatal flaw, the fatal conceit, to steal uh, the term from Hayek, that liberals have. They have this idea that this knowledge you display in your own small family unit, like I, in other words, Joe, just to make it tangible, I know mm-hmm. better than my kids, which is probably correct most of the time, right? Yeah, yeah most likely. That does not mean you know better than 300 million people in the United States because you know what's better for your 15 and five-year-old kids mm-hmm. or 18 and six-year-old kids. It doesn't matter. That is the fatal flaw in liberalism. The idea that planners, bureaucrats have some special knowledge set over your life, which enables them to legislate things to make your life better when they don't have the set of variables you're living under to understand what would make your life better or worse. Even common sense kind of things, which I'm using that their term there, that they say don't make sense. Like, hey, what if we gave everybody free health care? It sounds like common sense. Oh, that would be great. That would be mutually beneficial for everyone. One, there is no free health care. The doctor's time, the hospital, the rent, the electric bills have to be paid for the hospital. Who's paying? These are not these things don't make sense. It, you know, it's. It's frustrating dealing with this. I only bring this up because I read an article at Drudge about San Francisco, about residents of San Francisco, which is one of the most liberal cities of America, in America, if not the most liberal city in America, who are finally starting to feel the pain of their own radical far left decisions, especially when it comes to electing legislators and people who govern over their lives. I saw this happen in New York in the 80s and the 90s, where people had elected a series of Democrats, uh, 
Ed Koch as the mayor, Mario Cuomo, who was the governor of New York. His son is Chris Cuomo and uh, and uh, Andrew Cuomo, the governor now in New York. These were leftists. They weren't as hard, radical leftists as Bernie Sanders, but they were pretty far left. And what happened in New York is eventually the imposition of big government on people and the cost of it sucked money out of the private sector. The idea that government should be hands off when it comes to crime and the homeless and police were the problem eventually turned New York into a total rat hole. There were parts of New York that were crime ridden. Um, I believe they had thousands of homicides in the 90s. I mean, when I became a cop, it was starting to die down a little bit. Um, no pun intended there, obviously. But uh, it was it was a mess in New York. Rudy Giuliani gets elected in a squeaker over David Dinkins, who was one of the worst mayors we'd ever seen. Giuliani turns the city around rapidly. He, imp- he imposes law and order. He starts to dramatically cut back the welfare rolls, the tax rolls. All of a sudden, one of the most liberal cities in America, New York, Rudy Giuliani gets reelected over, I think it was Ruth Messenger, dramatically. The reason I'm bringing this up, folks, is eventually liberals start to see the errors of their own ways. Joe and I lived through this in Maryland, where I actually ran in that cycle. And I mean, the Maryland phenomenon was no different than what happened in New York. Change the people, change the place, the, the, the psychology of what happened, the sociology, probably a better way to say it, sociological forces at work were no different. Maryland had become a high tax, business unfriendly state. Baltimore, the crime was out of control and people got tired of it. And in a state where Democrats outnumber Republicans, I think two or three to one. Mm hmm. Larry Hogan, I ran. I remember that election night because I ran. I almost we that's the race we we won on election day and lost on an absentee count. I couldn't believe it. Larry Hogan won the governorship. I'm telling you, no, Joe, am I correct me if I'm wrong? Nobody thought Hogan was gonna win that race. No, no, no it was, was a foregone conclusion that the winner of the Democrat primary was the next governor. I mm-hmm. remember, matter of fact, Anthony Brown, the lieutenant governor who won the Democrat primary, seeing him a few days earlier um at a parade. I think we were in Gaithersburg, relaxed as all like it was over. Like he was the governor. It's it, it just was what it was. Like no one had even considered the fact that Hogan <laughs> was gonna win. Not only did Hogan win, Hogan won by, gosh, three, four points, which, believe me, in Maryland politics is an enormous landslide. He racked up totals in some counties of 70% of the vote. Mm -hmm. Some of them were conservative counties, but, I mean, that's an astronomical number. Eventually, liberalism collapses on itself. I'm not suggesting to you that San Francisco is ever going to elect anytime soon a conservative or Republican mayor. Obviously, that's probably not going to happen. The numbers there are really not good. But I'm just saying that when you read the story about San Francisco, I didn't even tell you what it is. San Francisco residents, needles in the street, human waste or human waste. I remember clean up after your dogs. Now they need signs in San Francisco. Clean up after your humans. Like, is this a real sign? Like, it's it's unbelievable. Human waste in the street. Homeless people all over the place because you can't afford housing because of the strict zoning. Eventually, this stuff implodes on liberals. I say this is it, it. It's kind of like a bad news, good news thing. The bad news is it's happening. Listen, people in San Francisco, American citizens, there are citizens too. They they they've made poor choices, I think misinformed in many cases, but I don't wish evil on anyone. I wish they'd wake up and see the error of their own ways and elect people who can actually pull government out of their lives and let businesses and economic opportunity filter down to everybody, not just the elites like it happens in San Francisco. That's the irony of liberalism. You want to talk about trickle-down economics, which is a fiction of the left? There is real trickle-down economics. It's government trickle-down. 
When government gets involved, only rich people get rich because they can manipulate governments and hire lobbyists. Mm. That's the real trickle-down economics. It's nothing to do with conservatism. Economic opportunities only for the elites in San Francisco. Eventually, this impacts them. They're starting, I believe, to see the error of their ways. And I would not be surprised if in a decade or two, if it gets, if it gets worse, that you start to see maybe not a conservative mayor, Joe, mm-hmm. maybe not a Republican mayor, but you may see an independent self-funder. Remember this show? And I don't know, and nobody's called me. It's not like some secret email I have. But you may see some independent self-funder who comes in there with some dramatically different conservative economic ideas, tax cuts, um, also policing, law and order. You may see someone eventually uh, win that, that mayorship in San Francisco and turn that city around. It can't continue forever, folks. You can't have people shooting up in the streets, uh, you know, using the streets as a bathroom. It just doesn't work that way. That eventually has to stop. All right, I got so much I want to get to today. I'm sorry if I'm uh, if I'm bouncing through this stuff, but there's so much stuff. Okay, um, just quickly on the Israeli operation, I want to just give another hat tip to them. Regardless of your position on foreign affairs, I am a open, bold, uh, hardy, robust supporter um, of Israel for a number of reasons. My experience in the Secret Service. Uh, really opened my eyes to what goes on overseas, seeing how what happens to Israel and how they are impacted by disastrous decisions by the international community, specifically directed at them. You know, I always uh, kind of ask about things like, you know, the right of return. Oh, the, they, you know, the right of return, right of return. There's a right of return. Do the British get to come back here? What about the French? Do they get to go back to Indochina? Kind of fascinating how the right of return seems to only apply to Israel. But... On that topic, I want to hat tip the Israelis as a former Secret Service agent. I was not a spy. I was a protection uh, uh, agent and a criminal investigator for one of the nerviest steel spine spy operations I have ever seen in my life. Some of the numbers are starting to come out, what, what happened with the Israelis. And what did they do? Israeli spy entities inserted themselves into Iran. And here's some of the numbers about what they pulled out, Joe. And there's a great piece I have in the Washington Examiner in the show notes today. Please read it about it. It's about the psychological component of this. It's really good. Mm. They fleeced from the Iranians, the Israelis, 55,000 pages of physical pages, physical pages of documents and binders, 55,000 on their nuclear program and 55,000 files on 183 CDs, basically dismantling the Iranian myth that they are not building a nuclear program. They had photos. I discussed some of this on yesterday's show. But why I wanted to bring it up again today is there's a good piece in the Washington Examiner that talks about how most spy entities, Joe, this is a cool angle, right? Mm. Why don't you hear about this stuff more often? Matter of fact, the Stuxnet, the virus inserted into the uh, Iranian centrifuges that made them basically explode themselves to this day there's still no real public confirmation about who did that most spy entities back away from this stuff after they get because they don't want to give up sources so the piece in the washington examiner it's a good one it says the israelis are experts at this and what they're doing now is this is a psychological operation too Mm. it's basically a a a clarion call of the world like hey look what we can do to the iranians this was their most sensitive data and we walked out of there 
55,000 pages of your manuals, photos, PowerPoints, everything. Good luck starting that up again. I think the world has noticed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think so? I yeah. mean, Netanyahu uh, did the PowerPoint oh. presentation in front of the world yesterday. So it's an interesting piece, and they're right, how most of these spy agencies would just get this stuff and keep it super quiet. But the Israelis, in, in what, they're, what they believe to be a psychological operation to demoralize them, have put the Iranians on notice that you're just not safe. But a good piece. Um, I'm interesting stuff there. This is a good one. There's uh, a debate going on now, started by Kanye West. Now, uh, I've, this is always one of those stories, you know, Joe, talking about, you're right. like, well, here's the thing. I applaud Kanye West for thinking independently. I am not in any way suggesting to you, and I agree a lot with Ben Shapiro on this, that we should be engaging in celebrity idol worship like the left does. You get what I'm saying, Joe? Like yeah. there's been this pile on. Oh, look, Kanye. He's not. With- Listen, he's not with us or, or again. He's just We should not be using these guys as, you know, the, the these examples of, oh, look, we, this is what the left does. They idolize Bruce Springsteen and all these other anti, you know, Republican celebrities. We should never get into that. Because I don't know if he's with us until he comes out and says, you know, he stands for life and the Second Amendment that I'm not, which I don't think he does. I'm not really into this celebrity idol worship, but I seriously do applaud him for having the guts, Kanye West, to stand up and say, hey, I admire the way Candace Owens thinks. Candace Owens is a um, Republican who works for Turning Point USA, who's a black female who had stated some conservative non-victimology ideas at a conference. And Kanye West, for those of you who missed it, tweeted, I literally tweeted, I like the way Candace Owens thinks. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I applaud him is Andrew Breitbart always said politics is downstream of culture. Culture matters, folks. The culture, what's going on out there, what's going on every day amongst people, the entertainment community, college campuses, what people are talking about in bars and restaurants and diners all across America, what's happening in the culture matters. I have argued, made the case to you repeatedly that if we don't change the culture, the politics is irrelevant because we can elect Republicans all we want. But if the culture is pressuring Republicans to act like Democrats, electing Republicans will make no political difference whatsoever. Because the political pressure and the money and the the, uh, the pressure to get votes will be coming from a culture that largely supports Democrat ideas. You know, the problem up on Capitol Hill, I've tweeted this repeatedly, is that many Republicans are really Democrats, but no Democrats are really Republicans. Does that make sense? Yeah. No Democrats are really Republicans. A lot of Republicans are really Democrats because they are pressured by a culture that is increasingly moving farther and farther to the left. Now, this stuff happens in cycles. That's why I don't panic. You know, you had the free love generation and you had the Reagan generation. I mean, this you look at it even in deeper terms. Yeah, you, you know, you had the Enlightenment and the Dark Ages. And, you, had, you know, this, ha- this comes in cycles. But amongst the Hollywood community that has lurched radically far left, right? It's important that people with prominent followings who can influence the culture with one tweet. How? They have millions of, I think Kanye West has, what, 30 million plus followers on Twitter? If he even opens the eyes, Joe, of one or 2% of his followers, you are talking about thousands and thousands of people who will have thousands and thousands of kids who for the first time say, wait, 
I don't have to be a Democrat. This is important stuff. It's not irrelevant. That's why I want to applaud him for doing that. I bring this up because it's kind of started a little bit of a war about the history of both party-aligned racism and other things. There are people, Kanye West has been posting his text messages. Text messages he's getting from a singer friend of his, a rapper mm-hmm. friend of his, a, he, which I, I don't know why he's doing that. I think, like, would you text him if you knew your text was going to appear on Twitter? I wouldn't, no, but no. whatever. <laughs> That's his thing. And in there, it goes to show you the level of just plain ignorance that some of these people have. In one specific exchange, and I forget who it's from. It's either a singer or a rapper Kanye knows who happens to be black, they text Kanye and they go, Kanye, you talking about the Republican Party and their civil rights fight is wrong. You know, there was a party switch and basically racist Southern Democrats became Republicans. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a myth. The the party switch, in other words, what I probably didn't explain that well. You may, Some of you may have heard it before. The Democrats argument to save their party's historical reputation, not now, now they're buried in identity politics, has always been that racist Southern Democrats. Remember, the entire South was Democrat, was run by Democrats. Jim Crow laws were enforced by Democrats, by Democrat sheriffs, Democrat governors, Democrat local officials. That's just a historical fact. In order to Wash clean their stained history with Jim Crow and slavery. The Democrats invented this fairy tale that's easily debunked by one simple point. The fairy tale is this, Joe. You know what? We may have been the Jim Crow racist Democrats in the South, but what really happened is as all those people became Republicans and now the racist Republicans took over. That's the party switch. If you just Google party switch, that's mm-hmm. that's it in a nutshell. It's no more complicated than that. So therefore, we're not really responsible anymore because it goes to show you that the Democrat Party is champions for ch- civil rights. All those racist Democrats became Republicans. Really? Because what's fascinating about that line of thinking is, number one, only one, quote, racist Democrat became a Republican in the Senate. That was, uh, you know, Strom Thurmond at the mm-hmm. time, who they, they, you know, the, that was there was no mass switch party wise. But secondly, don't you find it odd, Joe, as attitudes have changed in the South about race, which is Unquestioned. There is no more Jim Crow, obviously. You look at polling on everything from acceptability of interracial marriage to is it okay to be a racist, whatever it is. The the South has become unbelievably, I mean, the, the, the pace in the South, it's been incredible. The pace of, of historical change in the South from it becoming this bedrock of Southern Democrat racism to becoming an incredibly, you know, diverse, open and welcoming city. Atlanta, all these other places, which are largely minority, has been amazing. You can't deny that. What are you going to say? All that, what are you going to do? Say, oh, that's a bad thing. But what I find interesting is the South has gotten more Republican during the same time. So, Joe, if your argument is that racist Democrats became Republicans, how is it that as the South has become an incredibly welcoming and diverse place and has become unquestionably less racist, it has also become commensurately more Republican? Hmm. Does that make (laughs) sense to you? 
I, yeah, I mean, it's, that's what's happening. I mean, it completely, it, it's just the facts. Yeah, it's a fact. Racism has gone down. Social acceptance of everything from interracial marriage to the unacceptability of, of legislated racism, of de facto racism. Racism has gone down in the South as the Republican affiliation of the states has gone up. And yet your argument is what? That the, every all these racist Democrats switched to be Republicans and what? Became less racist? I don't. It doesn't make sense. You can't handle the truth. No, you can't. You can't because if that goes away... Then the whole, if that argument is debunked, which it is easily by what I just told you, the Democrats will have to someday come to grips with the fact that their party was the historical bedrock of institutional racism. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm only bringing this up not to, again, relitigate the past. I don't want to live in the past. Even when the, you know living in the past involves, expo- I'd, I'd like to just live in the now and the future. The re- only reason I'm bringing this up is because this Kanye West moment is important. It shouldn't be gaffed off. I'm not saying he's a conservative. I'm not saying we should all, oh, Kanye's our guy, Kanye for president. I'm not saying any of that. He's a man. He deserves respect. He's a successful business guy. But him coming out and questioning the historical roots of the Democrat Party to overcome a lie of the party switch is an important moment so the Democrats themselves can finally come out and say, you know what, we're wrong. Republicans clearly aren't racist because as the South has become less racist, it's become more Republican. Now, a lot of people are calling out and Kanye himself are calling out these people who keep putting this myth out there. Again, I bring this up because I saw another article, which I'll put in the show notes from the Daily Wire by Amanda uh, Prestia Giacomo. I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, Amanda. My apologies. Yeah, it's a great name. I just, I'm not great with names. Another excellent piece in the Daily Wire about former NFL running back and University of Southern California star Reggie Bush, who used to be, um, I think he was dating Kim Kardashian, Kanye West's wife. Reggie Bush puts out a tweet, Joe. Mm. Interesting tweet. He's like, hey, what's the IRS doing with my money? Who's watching these people? Again, I'm not genuflecting at the feet of Reggie Bush. I'm not suggesting he's a conservative. I don't know him. I've never spoken to him about deep conservative thought. I have no idea. I'm just telling you, tweets like this, and celebrities with followings, Reggie Bush, you had Cardi B, who's another uh, performer. Right. Cardi B, who came out with that rant. She went on her, whatever, Instagram or Periscope and was like, what the hell are you spending my money on? I mean, literally, it happened. You can look at it yourself. Maybe we'll she get the hot. audio. Yeah. yeah, oh, she yeah, was hot. She was Maybe hot. we'll get that audio for tomorrow. It's pretty cool. She's like, what the hell are you all doing with my money? Politics is downstream of culture, folks. These, ins- these small, seemingly insignificant episodes are not insignificant. If they change a few fans at a time, people who are never interested in politics, who listen to Cardi B, who go, you know what? That's a good point. What the hell are they doing with our money? Followers of Reggie Bush. That's a good point, Reggie. What the hell's the IRS doing with our dough? Mm-hmm. Followers of Kanye. Hey, there wasn't a party switch? What do you mean? The Republicans really aren't the racist party? All of a sudden, downstream, the politics can start to change, too. These are not insignificant moments. It's very, very important we understand that. I don't want you to dismiss this. The Republicans, I have told you repeatedly, 
The Republicans have a messaging problem. They don't have a message problem. Don't ever forget that. The Republican message, economic freedom, control your own money, limited interference in my life from the government, control of your own health care, control of your kids' education, limited government interference and red tape in our lives is extremely popular. It probably appeals to 60 or 70% of the population. Then how come we don't win? We don't win because the culture is run by leftists who people are afraid to stand up to, which Kanye West did. Afraid to stand up to. And the culture run by leftists has messaged the Republican Party to be a group of racists and old stodgy white guys. When that changes and people, that message starts to die because people like maybe Kanye West and a Reggie Bush or a Cardi B, who again, I'm not suggesting in any way, shape or form are conservative. But if they open people's eyes and people actually start looking past the labels, wait, Republicans aren't racist white guys? Well, what do they really stand for? They stand for more of your uh, money in your own pocket. You could pick your own health care. Oh, Wow, that sounds good. Maybe I need to consider that. The Democrats will be finished forever. We have a messaging problem, not a message problem. These cultural moments are not insignificant. They are very, very, very important. Okay, uh, today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Brickhouse Nutrition. You know, I'm a big supporter of Brickhouse. They were one of my original sponsors. They produce some of the finest, most advanced nutrition products on the market today. Now, I, yesterday I told you about Field of Greens. Today I want to tell you about Foundation. Foundation was their first product out there. It is still one of my bedrock nutritional products. What is it? It is a creatine ATP blend. It's like having two extra gas tanks in the gym. You know, I'm into proof and evidence, okay? That's my thing. Here's how sure I am that foundation will work for you. I want you to do two things if you try it. First, take a quick log in the gym, right? Well, that could come out wrong. <laughs> it kind of did. Leave that. <laughs> you may yeah. want to leave that in there. That's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> a written log in the gym. Written. There you go. Yes. Maybe I'll rephrase that the next time I read this, but it's important. <laughs> Take an index card, whatever it is. Pick an exercise, a couple exercises, bench press, squat, whatever it may be, whatever you do, leg extensions. Before you go on foundation, because it takes about five to seven days to kick in, I want you to write down how many reps and what weight you're doing. Go back seven days later and look at that card, the log, the written log. Don't look at the other. <laughs> and I want you to see your numbers. Look what will happen. This stuff is incredible. It is like having two extra gas tanks, the creatine one and the ATP blend, another one. It's incredible. I have a nephew that loves this stuff so much. He want to drive up from Fort Lauderdale to get another because I get a lot of it for miles. It's so good. Second test, try the mirror test. Look at yourself in the mirror. Again, give it about five to seven days to load in your system, the creatine ATP blend in foundation, and then look at yourself seven days later. This stuff's incredible. It gives your muscles this full look. It's amazing. It looks like you added like two, three pounds of muscle in a week. It's great. I love this stuff. Give it a shot. It's available at BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. That's BrickHouse, <laughs> BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Try foundation today. You will not be disappointed. It's one of my staple supplements. I love it. You will really, really like it. Mirror test. Try it. You'll love it. All right. Uh, final story that that was good, right? Yes, that yeah, was good. Miles, Miles, probably gonna kick it out. Uh, 
So the, I, you know, I didn't want to beat this to death because I, you know, I only, I don't want to do the whole show every single day on, on, you know, Russia's stuff because there's so much going on in the news, but it is an important story as I frequently uh, repeat, but it did leak. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this. Some of the Mueller questions to Trump leaked out to the New York times, which is convenient. Again, I, I'm not going to beat this to death, but Mueller is not a good guy. He's not on our team. Um, I believe he's found some stuff that implicates the Clintons and others that he's had to refer out uh, or may have to refer out. But Mueller is not a good guy. Mueller is after Trump and wants to take down Trump. You know, more evidence of that came out with the leaks of the questions. So this was a strategic leak, I believe, from the Mueller team to keep the attention on Trump. Because remember, Joe, the entire purpose of the Mueller probe is to keep the attention on Donald Trump as a smokescreen and keep the attention off the spying operation that would take down the deep staters. Is and squirrel. That's right. You're damn right. Who was who the guy who says that in that in the Rocky? Oh, Bowl that was Na- Natasha. Natasha. From, uh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Natasha Fatal. This uh, that's the essence. This is a Rocky and Bullwinkle scandal. Yeah. They need to keep the attention off the spying operation and on Trump. So the leaks of the questions were designed, I believe, strategically to, again, as the case falls apart, the House Intelligence Committee report came out last week, again, for the, Joe, what, 500 times showing no Russian collusion. Yeah. They leaked these questions. The questions are interesting. They're about Manafort, Roger Stone, and some real estate deals in Russia. I've asked you over and over again. Manafort, who they had a pre-existing intelligence operation against, the Democrats. The Democrats had already financed an operation through Alexandra Chalupa into Manafort before he was hired by the Trump team. Who pushed Manafort into the Trump orbit? Now, some reports are uh, a business associate of Trump, some are Roger Stone. That's the question for me. I believe Mueller's thinking the same thing. Now, if... I'm just saying with Stone that I don't know Stone. I I ran into him a couple times at events, but Mm. it's interesting that Manafort was pushed into the Trump sphere while having these suspicious contacts to Ukrainian officials and to Russian oligarchs as well. Again, I believe it sets up the premise that this was a framing operation, but I'm just trying to tell you with this, not to get too knee deep in it, but it did leak the Mueller questions, but the Mueller leak was strategically done again to keep the attention on this Manafort angle. Because that's one of the questions that leaked. What is Manafort's connections to Russia? Keep the attention on Manafort. The golden question being, who put Manafort in the Trump sphere? How eventually did he wind up there? And what was his connection to Russia? Was it a setup? And the leak was timed, obviously, after the Intelligence Committee report le- uh, came out. Didn't leak. Came out last week showing there's no collusion because they have to keep the attention on the Trump team at all times and away from the Clinton operation. This is important stuff. All right, folks, I appreciate you tuning in. Please go to Bongino.com, subscribe to my email list there. I'll send you these articles today, some really good ones in the show notes. I always try to pick some real gems. Uh, Check them out, and I will see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.